Hello, everyone, and welcome back. I hope you all enjoy the holidays. This is the Ranching Reboot Podcast, and I am your host, Brian Alexander. You can find me on social media as Red Hills Rancher. This is episode 147, the first episode of 2024. Starting with the last episode I released in 2023, Ranching Reboot is now available in video formats on Spotify, and I'm working on getting the entire three years worth of back catalog of podcasts onto YouTube and bringing current releases to YouTube as well in 2024. I wanted to thank all of my subscribers on Spotify and patrons on Patreon for making 2023 possible, and I'm really looking forward to growing in 2024 with all of you. If you'd like to help keep Ranching Reboot on the air for another year or more, head on over to www.patreon.com slash redhillsrancher and show your support or just click the links in the show notes. If you noticed in the last episode the random ad breaks, Spotify calls them smart ad breaks, and I don't have any control over what they play or when they play it. So if you want to listen to Ranching Reboot without interruptions or advertisements, please consider subscribing on Spotify or becoming one of my many patrons on patreon.com slash redhillsrancher. Patrons and subscribers don't have to listen to ads. They get an ad-free feed just for them. My guest today is Amy Hay, a dedicated rancher with an inspiring journey from vegetarian to carnivore. Amy is currently based in British Columbia and comes with a rich experience working with satellite communications equipment for maritime military purposes. But life had other plans. After a chance meeting with her husband-to-be in a bar in France, Amy found herself drawn to the world of ranching. In a comedic twist of fate, she left the world of boats and oceans to raise cows, something she never envisioned. Despite various hardships, including a near-foreclosure crisis, her passion and knack for direct marketing helped save her farm. Today, not only does Amy run a thriving regenerative beef ranch, she also assists other farmers in selling their produce directly to consumers. A champion for healthy food alternatives and a nurturing force in the farming community, Amy continues to inspire with her story. All right, we'll stick around. Here we go. Well, Amy, hey, thank you for joining me today. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm just fantastic. Uh, if I could get a couple other things off my plate, I'd be even better. But um, hopefully by the time this comes out, they'll be off my plate and I won't be worried about them anymore. <laughs> so um, why, don't you, uh, why don't you get us kicked off here and give us kind of the short elevator speech about who you are and where you're at and what you do, and we'll go from there. Oh, that is there. That is so multifaceted. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't even know where to start. We um we are first generation ranchers and we um I met my husband in a bar in the south of France. That's the short story. Um he was a client. We worked on boats and in this conversation it was one day I want to raise cows. I want to leave the ocean and I want to have a ranch and raise cows and I was like, "Sure. I can do that." And I, I joke that um, I could have stayed in Scotland and married a farmer and I'd met this glamorous yachty in the south of France and I'm still married to a friggin' farmer. <laughs> you threw a lot at me right there. Okay. Yeah. Just... That is so multifaceted. <laughs> you can pick something out. Um, so you're from Scotland. What were you doing in the south of France with boats? Um, so I'm an, I'm an engineer. I, uh, design satellite communication equipment for oil rigs and ships, maritime 
military. Um, there's some things I can't talk about. <laughs> and um, my husband was chief engineer on a big privately owned yacht. Um, and that's how we met. I was installing the satellite communications equipment on the boat he worked on. And when we went for a drink, that's when he said, I want to raise cows. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I got to hear that story. So how did you get from having drinks with a guy you just met <laughs> in the south of France saying, hey, let's raise cows? Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There, there. Yeah, we... Uh, um. So we obviously became more than friends and um, we left the ocean and came ashore, but we still were working in the maritime field. Uh, I'm trying to give you the cliff notes. So that took us to China. <laughs> we lived in China for two years, building boats for, for an American market. And then um, somebody got pregnant and we decided to leave China. And we, um, I'm from Scotland. He is from New Zealand. So we picked Canada because it's halfway between. It was <laughs> where we're going to move. And um, we did. And um, for a little while, we still worked with boats. He worked, um, he got contracted to a shipyard that was building them. And I worked for an OEM um, that was building, designing the satellite equipment for said boats or for all kinds of boats. And there was, we, ha <clears throat> we have three young kids. and um. There was this one Christmas when my eldest was seven or eight. And the, the eye on the prize was always, we are going to ranch. We are going to find some land. We're going to leave the ocean. We are going to raise grass-fed, grass-finished beef for a consumer market. This is what we want to do. People need to know where their food comes from. Like, this was something we would speak about, a little bit of a, of a pipe dream. Everyone's going, you're, you're, you guys are insane. It'll, it'll never happen. But this one Christmas, my son, um, he crawled up onto Scott's lap. The shipyard had shut down for Christmas. So it was shut down for two weeks. And he just said something that just hit him in like the fields. And it was like, you're a much nicer data when you're not at work. And it was just like, oh, like that is just so. And it was like, we can't keep on doing this. Like I was traveling with work. Uh, I think he worked out that he was a single parent for three months of the year because I was in Houston and I was in New Orleans and I was in California and I was in Europe and I was in the Far East and it was just yeah this isn't this isn't working so it was like we put an end to that we um gave it all up we moved five hours away and we raised beef so, <laughs> yeah I told you it was very multifaceted okay so I I have a little experience with shipyards. Mm -hmm. I was in the Navy for eight and a half years. And you stay in the Navy long enough, on a boat long enough, that boat goes to the shipyards. Mm -hmm. and, as a, and as a sailor, the shipyards are the absolute least favorite place in the entire world for your boat to be because it's, a, it's in the wrong spot. Yeah. Dry docker. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah, it's... <laughs> It's really weird to see a destroyer on dry dock, much less an aircraft carrier, which I haven't seen, but, you know, the destroyer in dry dock was wild enough that it's just, for, for people out there in podcast land, the shipyard is the worst place you could ever be because there's no parking. You have to park a million miles away, walk two hours to get to the boat, 
it's totally crap. I mean, you're walking through like the densest, worst, dirtiest industrial area possible. You know, there's forklifts running around. There's people in hard hats and safety vests. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. And then you get on the boat and half your crap is tagged out and doesn't work because the shipyard's all working on it. And they've got their ventilation everywhere and their power cords strung everywhere. You're tripping on everything. You can't close any freaking doors and you just want to leave. And it's just a miserable damn time. Yeah, pretty much. So how many years did it take from when you guys met and said, hey, let's go raise cows together till you actually had cows? So we met in 2005 and we bought a six acre, a six acre, I guess, small ranch homestead in 2014. So nine years, we were still working, but we went, we started seeing if we could do what we wanted to do. And we went to auction. We bought four Hereford steers. We kept them over winter. We kept one for ourselves. We butchered, we butchered them all. And then the other three, um, we kind of floated on. At that time, it was just Facebook. Like there was no, this was in 2014. And um, Facebook groups, local groups to see if anyone wanted to buy an eighth, a quarter, a side, a whole. And they went super fast. I was like, mm, that was kind of easy. Do you think we can really do this? And we did it a few more times. So we, we leased. So here, here in BC, I'm, I'm, I'm in Canada. We were, uh, we have ag status because we had a farm and we actually were doing, even though, even though it was only six acres and we were selling beef. If we leased property from somebody else, they then could piggyback onto our farm status and their property tax dropped from like five grand a year to like 50 or something like, like huge drop. So we didn't have to pay rent for this, for leasing land. They just piggybacked on our farm status. So we leased two kind of 10 to 20 acre parcels and we grew our herd up to, I think, 20 at that time. So they would all come home in the winter into like a sacrifice plot and be on hay and haylage. Um, and then in the summers, they would go out to these 10 and 20 acre plots and we would, and that's, we would graze them. And we started doing small batch beef. Um, and then when we pulled the plug from that point, it was a five-year plan. We thought, right, it's 2014. We have our foothold. It's a five-year plan to get to where we want to go. And we did it in two. It was like, nope, pull the, pull the plug, we're off. <laughs> And uh, in two years, we bought this place I'm sat in now. And um, we moved here with 13 head. And now uh, we're processing 20 head a month every month. Okay. Only be only direct to market. We don't take anything to auction. We don't do pairs. We don't do feeders. It's all direct to market beef. Okay. Where do you, so where do you source your steers from? Um. So we, when we first moved here, um, we obviously couldn't, we were just starting. So we started with like two head a month and then four head a month and then six. And we kind of grew as much as we could sustain, but we were still building our herd. So um, here in Canada, and I'm sure it's the same in the States, there is companies that do cattle finance. So the finance is secured on the cattle themselves, not on you or the property. Um, they had never um, financed anyone who did a direct-to-consumer product but they were like you know we'll give it a go um so that's how we started building our herd we looked around for herd dispersals and then the finance company would 
purchased them. And then when we branded, we freed brand, we branded with our ranch brand, which is this. And then theirs also had to go on, which is like a lazy two, so that if they ever went to auction, the auctioneer would know that they're not just ours. They belong to the cattle company as well. And then when they're sold as beef, they get paid out and we get the rest. So that's kind of how it works. Um, so while we were building the herd, we had an agreement with a um, another grass-fed producer who was kind of struggling to sell, didn't want to take them to auction. So we would buy them from him save him auction fees, auction percentages, transport, et cetera. And then we would process and sell for beef. And then we did that while we built our herd up. And then I think in 20, January 2019 was when we started with our own. I mean, they weren't raised here, but we bought them, brought them here, finished them here. And then now we breed our own. Very cool. Very cool. There were some sticky points in there too, though. <laughs> like that, it's so. <laughs> well, tell me about them while I'm while I'm sitting here searching for what else to ask. So, um, to pert, so we wanted to do that. Like, I am super impulsive. Scott's very. He kind of calms me down. Whereas when I get get an idea, it's we have to go. We need to do 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 this now. This this is happening. Hence, the five year plan became a two year, <laughs> not the other way around. So. To purchase this place I'm sat in now, we went on a camping holiday, you call it a vacation, to almost to the Alberta border. And as we were driving along, we saw this lovely house. It's a log house with a red roof and lo lots of green pastures. And we're like, wow, that's nice. And then as we drove past, it, has, it had a for sale sign. I was like, oh, it's for sale. <laughs> and, and we really liked the area. We stopped in the, it's the smallest city in Canada. Like it's tiny. It's got a population of 700, but it's, it's a city. Um, and we stopped for a coffee and it was lovely. And we're like, we kind of like this here. So we went and we did our thing. We did our vacation and we came home and we called the realtor. And we're like, we kind of would like to go and see that place. So we looked at it, loved it, came back a week later with the kids. They loved it, put in an offer and we hadn't sold or even finished our place on the coast so that was in high speed but we went to an agricultural mortgage lender with a um, company to remortgage our six acres it had gone up in value to release equity to buy this ranch this ranch didn't close for a long time because it was the middle of winter um when we finally settled it was coming into winter we said we didn't want to move with cattle in the driving snow and we would move in the spring and they were fine um for a while we carried two mortgages and then the property market took this dive and our place at the coast which was funding this place didn't sell and then when it did sell it sold at a loss so that equity we released didn't exist at all because it got like it yeah oh so um, that sold when, and up. When was that? 2019. Yeah. Okay. I, um, I was just, I was just wondering, because you're talking about British Columbia and doesn't British Columbia have some of the worst real estate prices in all of Canada? Super high at the coast. Yeah. But, but it kind it, of so is that, did that spike happen after you guys sold? Yes, it did. Well, it happened before and then it dropped and then it's coming back up again now. But when, in that time period, the, our, we just chased that market down and the lender 
got when it finally sold and sold at a loss we were in there was no equity like the what we owed what we like the the ranch didn't cover and they're like oh no this isn't gonna work we're super nervous let we're gonna foreclose we're gonna stop and we're like what like we just moved here with three young kids this is our life I like everything went into this place um and they're like no we're going to foreclose on your ranch and we're like Oh my God! So, um, uh, 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 just to be clear, the one you're yeah. trying to sell or the one you were trying to buy? No, this one, the one I'm sat in now, the one that the we one... bought because we were carrying the two mortgages. So the one at the coast sold for a loss, but it had gone. So at least we didn't have to pay for the mortgage any. Well, that we I guess we still kind of did because we still owed the bank. So, um, the only way we could do it was either to sell and go back to boats, but that wasn't what we wanted to do. So it was really ramping up the sell direct market. And um, I have quite a background in sales <laughs> with the. <laughs> um, so kind of put all that business knowledge and all that experience, but instead of boats and communication systems, it was B. So we started two a month, four a month, six a month to the point where we were doing, I think at that point, six a month, every month with an order book booked six months in advance. And we're like, okay, this can work. And the bank said, no, we don't trust it. Um, This isn't going to work for us. We're going to continue to foreclose. And we're like, it was so stressful. Like it takes 12 months to foreclose on a ranch here, like three months, like a house, like a ranch. Because you're providing food and all, all that it takes a year to foreclose. So I think we got to nine months. And at nine months, I had an order book. We were doing 10 a month. We were doing 50K revenue a month. I had orders booked five, six months in advance. And I went over our local person's head to the head office in Saskatchewan and said, come on, look at this. Like it's 50K a month every month and has been for the last nine months. And it's booked out you know, six months in advance um, until eventually they went, okay, we apologize and you're right and this does work. And it was like literally they halted proceedings at that final hour. But within all that time, looking for help or looking for anyone who to come and help, like, like, help, I need this now. Like, come and help me sell this beef or give me a plan or something to follow. And there just wasn't anything. and. What there was was super expensive and scary that I couldn't justify spending that amount of money to save my ranch. It was like, I just have to do this alone. <laughs> so we did. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what you're talking about, about um, just a few seconds ago. I don't know whether I'm like to say. That's. I think that's a, that's okay though. Um, so you staved off the foreclosure proceeding by getting a full order book. Mm-hmm. Now we were talking before, before we started the recording, I've talked to several people, you know, over the, over the last couple of years, talking to folks that are running direct to consumer businesses, there's highs and lows and there's definitely challenges. Like everybody's experiencing challenges and it seems like Maybe there's parts of the country, I'm sorry, you're in Canada, parts of <laughs> North America uh, that are being less successful now at selling 
at selling grass fed direct to consumer, it seems like you're doing, you're, you're still doing well. What, how are you still able to find markets and, and consumers to buy the product? Cause like, it seems like, it seems like since you guys had a head start, right? You were already selling before COVID happened. You already had a supply chain and a production schedule before COVID. It seemed like when COVID happened, there are a lot of people that are like, oh, well, I can do this too. And a lot of people wanted to pile into the direct consumer, you know, and even on the grass fed side, do you think there's maybe some oversaturation? Did we, did we get, are there too many people in the marketplace for the demand right now? I don't think there is. I mean, a lot of the stats that I see, the most readily available statistics are for the USA because you report everything. <laughs> and out of the over 2 million farms in the USA, only 8% sell direct to consumer. And it's actually only 7% because that extra 1%, they sell through local intermediaries. They don't sell direct, but they're lumped into the sell direct. So there's only 8% of ranches in the USA that sell direct to consumer. I think the disconnect is connecting the people. Like there's this massive farm to fork movement that people, the consumer, they want to buy direct. They want, they want to buy meat from China anymore or they don't you know they want to support in their country they don't want to buy even australian beef which is amazing beef it, but it's not american like they want to find american beef it's almost like a disconnect between the the rancher who's selling it and the guy in a, in a city who wants to buy it now they might be five hours apart they might be eight hours apart and i think one of the things that i hear a lot is but nobody wants to buy my beef. And it's like, well, how far have you tried? It's like, well, I try my local town and I try my neighbors. And there's so many people here who are trying to do it that I can't sell my beef. And it's like, well, have you tried going further afield? Like we do a five hour radius, like even to get our beef processed, it's a 10 hour round trip. You know, that's how far we drive to get it processed. And then we make that trip back part of our delivery so it's not wasted so then i advertise when i say advertise i go into facebook groups like i don't do paid ads or anything like that i go into buy and sell groups i kind of build my customer base with my social media and people find us like our ranch we're pretty well known now in bc because we're uh, a regenerative ranch and we really push regenerative agriculture um we hosted clinics here with Nicole Masters and um, our local farm advisory board. And we really push soil health. So people kind of like all the, for want of a better word, crunchy people, they really like that. Like they, they, they really like that we, that we really focus on soil health and we really kind of, we kind of joke that um, we're soil farmers first. The cows are just our tools. Well, and that's it, not a joke. That's just reality. It it's is reality. It, not everybody understands it, but no. yeah. So we just kind of, we built a name for ourselves, but like, I think people kind of, the things I see that people don't do or people kind of get stuck is that um, they think nobody wants to know their story. Like they think I'm a farmer. People don't want to know, know about that. Whereas I'm like, people do want to know your story. Like some guy who were, who, 
does a commute and they're driving an hour and a half into the office and they sit in a cubicle and then they're driving an hour and a half home and they're going into a high rise apartment and they're watching Yellowstone. They're like, I want that life. And they want they want to know about your life because your life is so unique to them. You're out there hustling cattle. You're riding the reins. You're getting kicked by a bull. Um, you know, like it's, it's it's exciting and it might not be exciting to you because you live it. You're in that bubble. But for people outside the bubble, they want to know all of that. So your story sells. And if you can sell that story into these urban hubs, then you can your beef will sell, even if you do have to drive five hours. I drive five hours. I don't ship. There's nothing here. Like we were saying before, I can't get dry ice. I would have to drive three hours to ship it. So what's the point? I just, we drop ship it. So we take it to a Walmart car park and we say, I will be there at four o'clock on a Wednesday afternoon. Come and pick up your beef and people do. And then they pay us. What do you do if you have a bunch of no-shows at one of those meetups? Um, so touch wood, it doesn't really happen. So people pay a deposit. So everything is kind of, we is secured by a deposit. We don't keep credit cards because you can't do that now. Like if everything is done through Square, but if people no show, we, um, contact them and take it next time. And we often make them pay for it there and then like they'll do an e-transfer or, if we don't hear from them, we can break it down and resell. But we don't get stock left with any inventory because everything is pre-sold. Okay. How, what percentage of deposit do you make people put down? Not a huge amount. Um, for a quarter, it's $120. So what, what's that percentage? That's like 12%, roughly. Well, I don't know what you charge for a quarter. Okay, so a quarter for us in between there is, is about 1000 to 1200 So yeah, it's about... 10 to 12%. A side we is 200 and a whole is 400, which is about 10%. Are your, are your carcasses consistent enough? You can just say a half or a whole is this much, or are you selling a half and this much a pound? Yeah, it's hanging weight per pound. And then people can, um, <clears throat> people can choose their cuts. So quarters are, are, Pre-cut. We used to always, if you chose bulk, people could choose their cuts regardless. But the amount of cut sheets we do with people for quarters, and they're all identical apart from um, T-bones or New York's and tenderloins, that we've just standardized them. So if people want a quarter, their only choice is T-bones or tenderloins, and then sides, they can have it cut however they want. And the reason we do that, and I'm sure it's the same for everybody, but if we did a set price... A, our carcass sizes aren't, yeah. Where the breeds we have, our carcasses are probably 650 to 700. Like they're not huge. Hanging weight, hanging weight. Um, but we don't do yield price because how someone chooses to have it cut can influence that yield. So we do hanging weight, which I'm sure you do as well. And everyone, nearly everyone does. Not everyone, which blows my mind when people do yield price. Um, and, but we don't do a set price because it ranges too much. I mean, if you want to buy steaks from me, they're going to be high. Like if you want to, if you just want five pounds of ribeyes, they're going to be high, like yeah. twice as high as if you just said, Hey, put me together a beef box. Like, yeah, I'll put you together a beef box. Yeah. It's going to be a bunch of ground, but you're also going to get some great steaks. 
and your average price is going to be lower than if you just bought the stakes and if you just bought the ground. Yeah, same. Yeah. And we don't tend to do ribeyes either unless someone specifically asks for them. Everything we do is bone in because bones cost money. Like I want them as heavy as possible. <laughs> I, I mean, there's there's two sides to that. And yes, selling bone is like that's that's cheap weight to sell. And I get, you know, it's it's perfectly viable. Perfectly okay to do that. Uh I had somebody tell me one time, if you can make somebody buy water and pay the shipping, that's a pretty good way to make money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if if you can sell and I think about like all the companies that sell bottled water, like, well, we'll just go bottle up some Dallas, Texas municipal water supply and put that in the bottle and slap a label on it and charge 10x for it. Exactly. We even put bones in our, so our mini sides is an eighth of a cow, roughly, but we make them up. Like we literally make up everything here. Um, And I put in a three pound pack of bones because people want them for bone broth and they want them for soup and they want them for their dogs, but they're, they pay a per pound price for that whole pack, which is twelve fifty a pound. So they're paying twelve fifty a pound for three pounds of bones. I mean, obviously you have people that keep doing it so people aren't upset about it. It averages out. Like it out because they've got tenderloins in there, which are thirty bucks a pound, or prime ribs, or you know what? So it does ab, ab average out, but we we people want the bones. Yeah, and that's yeah, I think that's something a lot of folks overlook is is the bones because there's a lot of value in the bones. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people are just content to pay the fee to have the processor dispose of the bones. And who knows, maybe that processor's got a pet food line out back that, you know, that all the bones that you're paying him to take, he's cooking and he's repackaging and selling for pet treats. It's stupid markup laughing at you. There is a lot of money in pet food. We don't do it, but there's a lot of money in pet food. Oh, goodness. People <laughs> will pay four times to feed their pet than they will to feed themselves. It's it's insane the amount of money people will spend on their pet that they won't spend on themselves. Yep. <laughs> I I have I, horses, I know. Let's <laughs> get it. I'm thinking of the three dogs we've got upstairs tanya's getting ready to take one of them to the vet because he's just got he can't he's having problems with his ears we put stuff in it and he keeps shaking his ears and smells terrible so it's time for him to go to the vet yeah and i i think about how much he was free and i think about how much money i've spent on that dog and he's probably the most expensive free dog i've ever seen in my life yeah it's like a free horse is never a free horse. A free dog is never a free dog. <laughs> never turn down, never, probably never accept a free horse. No. <laughs> well, um, I mean, this one's on me. Like, I went and I, like, I got this dog from a friend. He was like, hey, I got this dog. Somebody, he needs another home. Somebody wanted him. I went over and I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll take him home. But he's a good dog. Nice. Most Most of the time. Most of the time, yeah. Um, something else that I do that um people think is weird, but it works, is like we we really pushed our social media. Like when we started 
I didn't even have an Instagram account. Like I didn't, I did. I just like thought it was um, picture sharing. Like I had no idea. Like it was Facebook. Yes, but Instagram, no. And we had our ranch um, Facebook account and we were growing followers and things. And I stumbled across some, it was like a free masterclass by founder. And I was like, well, this looks interesting. And I watched this free, this free masterclass. And I was like, oh my God, like really? And Instagram has three times the reach of Facebook. And like the growth is, is exponentially bigger. And um, at that time, I was like, hmm. And the only Instagram account we had was my husband's. So we changed that. I didn't even start a new one. I changed that into the ranch account, which is hilarious now that we're verified that it has the, the, the profile picture has to match who owns the account. So even though I run the account, and my husband is um not good on camera, shall we say? <laughs> like he doesn't like being there. That the profile picture is him because <laughs> it has to match the ID because we're a bit verified. Like um, segue, when we got married, I had to hire a secret photographer that had this massive telescopic lens that went and hid up a mountain just to catch those candid smiles because he doesn't smile. <laughs> so the <laughs> So all it was like paparazzi, true, true story. But um, anyway, so we um, I started this to do in um Instagram, and I do them both. But then that was when our ranch took off. Like that was when we started doing twelve a month and fifteen a month, and being sold out for like ten months. And it was like wow, they like, and that was it was due to Instagram. Still no running ads, no nothing like that. Um, and what, what I do or what people think is crazy, but it works is I don't actually sell, like I don't actually sell on social media. I don't, that you'll never, or very rarely see a buy my beef or steaks for sale or anything like that. It's all information. Like if you think, if you think of everybody scrolls and everybody is like doing the scroll and having a look at posts and reels and you get into that kind of almost hypnotic zone you want to stop that scroll and no one's going to like, if I'm craving ice cream, I'm not going to stop on a something for steak or if it's, you know, first thing in the morning and I want coffee and, and a donut, I don't eat do donuts, but as an example, um, I'm not going to stop for a steak. So um, the way I stop the scroll or the way I sell, if you like, is information. So I give great information about beef and it um, things like, um, do you go, go to the gym did you know that having a two ounce steak or sorry a 10 ounce steak after a workout is better than a creatine supplement or did you know that steaks have more electrolytes than Gatorade so you know before you reach for that chemical crap have a steak kind of thing but it's all kind of information about if you are a gym goer or a gym rat or a body builder then eat red meat as opposed to supplements or thing, things like that. And it's really started people stopping and going, wow, you know, that's kind of interesting. No matter where they are in the world, if we have a follower in Texas, it's still something that makes them look. And that's kind of how I sell, if you like. Like I don't sell, I'm giving information and people kind of log on and sign up. And at that point, they're kind of a warm lead and they're hooked into my conveyor belts <laughs> well they're you're selling without selling yes I because yeah. 
you're giving away information and education. And that was, that was something that was kind of on my mind earlier is there's an education bottleneck between us and the typical consumer. Yep. And you know, we can throw around words like grass-fed and regenerative. Great. We know what they mean, right? We have a very good common shared understanding of what regenerative agriculture is and what soil health is and what animal health should be. We get mm-hmm. that. There's 340-odd million Americans that have no clue. Yeah. They believe what is written on the label, what the guy in the, on the TV tells them, or they just, I guess that's it. Like, they believe what they're told. They believe what they're told. They buy what they're told to buy by the person in the box or the shiny ad in the magazine. Mm-hmm. They listen to things like, you know, these fake meat companies come on and list, you know, their 53 unpronounceable ingredients that they can't make without. But they'll, oh, but people will overlook a natural, healthy, sustainable protein source. Yep. Because of education. So how do we swim? How do we swim upstream in that river and maybe counter some of that misinformation or disinformation or information that's being withheld from the public? Screening, like I, I say, say a lot on our on our our page, like especially when we when we get angry comments from people about beef and stuff, and I'm like, you, the consumer, have the power. If you demand that stores shop more local or have more local alternatives and better produce, then you, the consumer, dry, drives the market. And I think they kind of forget that. Like, they really do. But education is key. Like, I got so, I got really, am I allowed to say pissed off? I got really pissed off. I don't <laughs> peeved mad at um, everything. Would, like, my whole feed was full with um, fake meat and um, uh, plant-based this and plant-based that. And I'm like, why am I seeing all this? Like, I'm a rancher. I, I'm a carnivore. I don't even eat anything green. Like, I, I'm 100% carnivore for health, for health re- reasons. And um, why am I being targeted by vegan this and vegan that? And I got so mad. I actually called Canada Beef and said, what the F are you doing? And um, the lady put me on and I left a message with their uh, creative director, I think, I think it was. And he did call me back. And I'm like, look, I am a rancher. I eat beef and I see nothing. And he goes, well, we do have this ad campaign and we do have this campaign. I'm like, where? I don't see anything. Like you would think that I'm your ideal customer. I need to see your stuff. Nothing. And he was a bit, he, he, um, he ummed and odd. I don't think anything happened, but that was how mad I got. And then I started my own podcast called Respect the Beef. And <laughs> That, that I haven't done it for a while, but for, this was back in 2021, I think. But I just got so mad at Canada Beef because I felt they were doing nothing. Like, surely them and the cattlemen should, are the ones that should be fighting for us. Okay, so that's a fair point. You're seeing, you're not seeing ads for Canada Beef in Canada. You're seeing a lot of fake meat and other crap. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes it's the opposite here in the States. Like, now I don't take any like beef magazine or any of that stuff. I don't like, I don't subscribe to them. Every once in a while, copies show up. It just happened. Why in 
beef magazine that's produced with funding from the NCBA. Why are there ads for the beef checkoff in beef magazine telling us how great beef is? I mean, to some extent, that's kind of like trying to like you're trying to preach to the choir. It's like, where's the market you're selling in? Are you just running these ads in our industry publications to show you're doing something? Like, yeah. no, go out, go to the vegans, like go run ads in vegan publications. Please do that. Like <laughs> that would be a good use of checkoff dollars or beef Canada dollars. <laughs> Please do that. Yeah. Don't, don't market grass fed beef to me. That is a waste of advertising dollars. Go sell it to somebody else. That's not already consuming the product. So I, I am, I am a former vegetarian. I'm former, former. I know I run a beef rest. <laughs> okay. Former. <laughs> We've got to get into that, the, the vegetarian that's now a carnivore, but I got to go recycle some coffee real quick. So I will be right back. It sounds good. <laughs> okay. So just before the break, you dropped a bomb on me that uh, you were a vegetarian for a while. When was uh, that? Um, a long time ago, like when I was late teens, early twenties, kind of thing. So before you met your husband, before I met my husband, it was, and it was, even then, it was for, it was for the reasons like, I maybe wasn't a very good vegetarian. Because, like if my dad shot a pheasant, I would eat a pheasant because it had a good life. It was flying in the sky, bang bang, it's all on my plate. I'm all good, but I wouldn't eat chicken from the store or i would because i thought it had an awful life and i wouldn't you know so it was it was just in my very young misconstrued brain i thought i was doing something for those animals by not eating them and i've been educated since then <laughs> but that that was my reasoning many many moons ago like we're t- i'm old <laughs> well oh, that's that's perfectly valid and fair considering Considering probably where you grew up, I mean, without, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say you kind of grew up more in town and not really attached to any sort of farming roots and didn't really, and you just saw what you, and you just heard what you saw in the media about animal cruelty and confined animal feeding operations. And you said, I don't want to be a part of that. I don't want to support that system. And that's why you chose to be vegetarian. Am I reading that right? Pretty much, I, but I'm from very rural Scotland. Like our nearest town was a ferry ride away. Like, okay. Farm, a very big farm. But that was when I was very young. Like I guess when I was, we still live super rural, like very rural Scotland. But if you went to the store, the chicken was still in plastic cellophane wrappers. You know what I mean? Like, and it was, and yes, yes. I mean, we did see, like, I remember I, signed up i used all my pocket money to sign up to wwf the world wildlife whatever and rescue bird from being shipped in tennis ball thing. you know like all this stuff like all my pocket money went on stuff like that like yeah because i i did believe the media and i did believe that all these animals are being mistreated and i shouldn't eat them <laughs> well let's, but i i've seen the light let's be perfectly fair and honest the current commodity production system for beef, chicken, and pork in North America 
has some pretty structural issues. Mm-hmm. And for all the vegans that say, I don't eat meat because I'm against animal cruelty, that's why. Like, they have a, they have a very valid point. It's not natural what we do with, with these animals, putting them in confined feeding operations. That's my personal opinion. And anybody that doesn't like it can send me hate mail. Like, there's nothing natural about cattle standing in a feedlot eating corn out of a concrete bunk. Like, you want to see natural? That's cows out eating grass. Yeah. Okay. That, that doesn't fit your production schedule. It doesn't make money under your system. That's fine. That's what's natural, and that's where those animals are happy. Pigs. When I was in high school, I worked for uh, a neighbor farmer that had some hogs. And this was mid-90s. Like, I worked for them in the middle of, of the hog crash in the 90s when, the, when most of the rest of the, of the independent hog farmers got out and small hog farmers got out. And I remember, I remember them talking about like, just how absurdly cheap pork bellies and pork futures were there, I think, probably like 94, 95, somewhere along there. Mm-hmm. And they they made the decision right there one day around the lunch table. Said, "Well, we'll we'll just get out of hogs. We just won't have any more." But one of my jobs was cleaning out the farrowing house. If you've never done that job, that's not a job you want to do in July in the Kansas oh, heat. No. I almost didn't eat pork for five years after that. Oh wow! Yeah, I can see it. And I don't really think. The environment in big commercial hog houses is much better. Chicken houses aren't any better. Turkey houses aren't any better. Cattle feedlots, they aren't any better. So when the vegans and the animal rights activists don't want to eat meat because cruelty to animals and those animals deserve a better life, those people 100% have a point. I'm not going to say that I support them, but they have a point. They would. I think they would have more more impact on the industry though in instead of i don't eat meat is i don't eat that meat i'm going to support your meat but i'm not going to eat that you know like i think their their attentions are in the wrong place <laughs> they're focusing on the wrong details i i agree 100 percent, and it's it's also worth mentioning and noting you know over the last four or five years on social media there's been a lot of vegan and vegetarian influencers mm-hmm. that have started to suffer from some pretty serious health issues. Mm-hmm. Now, just anecdotally, without naming names, because I didn't do any research or background on this, because I didn't prepare for this kind of conversation. Um, but I, I can recall several like famous vegan and vegetarian influencers that have had some pretty serious health problems and have gone back to eating meat. There's one of them that I know of that was like a fairly hardcore veg- vegan that now they went all the way to carnivore. Yeah. And they did that switch like in a very short span over social media. And the way these people get attacked, they're like, I used to have to eat, you know, all the stack of supplements every day. And this is all, you know, the beans and the tofu and everything else that I ate every day. And now I just eat steak and I feel so much better and I don't have to take any of that stuff. And they get attacked for it. Yeah. And I, 
And I think it circles back to, you know, the education part of it is consumers, I think for the most part, are told, trust us, it's a good product. Just trust us, it's a good product and go shop on price and just trust us that it's a good product. Well, the price shopping American consumer has been trained to look for that low price. And you and I both know that when somebody goes to the grocery store and they're buying ground beef at $2.50 or $3 or $3 a pound, you can't tell me that rancher made any money. No. No. It, yeah. It's crazy. And it's also, it's, um, it's wet age. So as opposed to if you buy from you or me, it's dry age. So when you buy ground from the store that's been wet aged, that's why you get all the water. Like I did a, a reel on Instagram that I cooked. And I got slated for this, but it went viral. And I had a lot of support, but I had some that were like, oh my God, the questions and the things. But I had a pound of ground that was the best ground I could buy at the store, but it was from the store. And it was like six fifty a pound or something. And I had our ground, which at the time was $8 a pound. And I put them both on cast iron pans on my stove and cooked them side by side. And the crap that came out of the other one, I mean, it's just really liquid. And none came out of mine. And then I weighed them at the end. And mine was hadn't lost that much weight. The other one had lost a lot of weight, did the math, and it was cheaper to buy mine than it was to buy from the store. And all these people slating me going, um, your ground is 95.10 and the store ground is 80.20. And I'm like, no, my ground is 80.20. Well, your butcher was lying to you. And I'm like, oh, like it was just ridiculous. Like the people, and I was like, you're missing the point. <laughs> But a lot of people liked it. <laughs> More people liked it that didn't. But I don't know if I saw that post, but I've seen posts like that. And I've done the same experiment here at the house. Cook a pound of my beef next to a pound of store-bought beef. Drain yeah. the liquid, weigh the liquid, weigh what's left in the pan. And there's a huge difference. There huge is. difference. Um, it was probably la. It was. It's been over a year since we bought any beef at the grocery store, and I think the last last we bought was just some ground that we needed to buy because we didn't in between locker runs or whatever. I don't even remember, but we ended up with some grocery store ground beef, and it was supposed to be like a pound and a half, and it cooked down to just under a pound. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How do we cook a? How do you cook out? 30% of the weight. Like what are what are you buying? Yeah, it's yeah, it's 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 insane. I love the people that say, "Well, you can't cows don't marble on grass. Cows don't marble on grass." But they do. Uh, but they do. They, they do. can. It takes a wee bit longer and and breeding and like we've even moved away from the grass-fed label now. Like on our ranch page, we just call our beef regenerative beef because um, they f eat so much more than grass. Like we plant, we plant in our fields. We have sunflowers and brassicas and legumes and vetches and clovers, um, pea and barley. But in like the grass, like they're not being harvested for pea, peas and barley. And they eat this, so they eat all of that. And so they're not eating more than just grass. And out on range, they're eating leaves and shrubs. I've even found a cow chewing on a moose antler. Like, like they they eat. I guess for calcium, 
minerals or something. So I'm like, they, they do have minerals and they have licks and they have salt. We use um, C90 salt and they okay. love it. Um, but we don't say grass fed and finished anymore because they eat so much more than just grass. So like we re- I did a whole, I think about a month on our ranch page, kind of transferring over and educating and saying that that is why. And the, the other one that I get is, but are you organic? And I'm like, I'm better than him. And I'm like, like for us, to, I mean, I know it's different everywhere. But the main reason that we haven't gone for that here in BC is that we would have to rip out every single fence post that we have and put in untreated wood. And until we d- do that, we cannot be called organic. And it's like, well, I'm not doing that. So I have a whole script already written out to kind of email to people and say this is why we are not considered organic but this is why we are the best that you can buy around here (laughs) and there's probably some different things like different specific things about you know what what's organic and what you can and can't do to put an organic label on it the the organic label doesn't mean anything anymore like Mm. it really doesn't and I would almost go as far as to say that if the government recognizes it and will allow you to put it on a label, you don't want it. You probably don't want it anymore. No, you probably don't want that. So, I, I've tried to market beef by sell, by saying all natural grass fed, raised on native range, and that's not a claim that a whole lot of folks can make. Mm-hmm. It's also not a whole lot not a claim that a whole lot of folks are going to make because there's a not a lot of native range left b there's not a lot of people doing grass bed operations and um well i couldn't make it work and maybe that's the reason why nobody else is doing it either anyway (laughs) getting through some of the getting just like trying to pierce the veil of knowledge in get through i gosh i hate i almost hate to call it misinformation because there's no such thing as misinformation there's just information yeah okay and whether and whether or not it's bullshit information or not you know that remains to be seen but information is just information and it doesn't like it can't necessarily be right or wrong on its own but there's a lot of information that's been put out that's maybe not necessarily true about beef. And there's some facts that are being misrepresented about beef. Yeah. And mostly it's because the people in charge don't want the vast majority of the population asking uncomfortable questions. Mm -hmm. Diana Rogers is very good at sustainable dish. She is very good at slaying all of that. Like I wish she was, she has a very loud voice and I love her and I follow her religiously. I just wish she was bigger. Like I wish more people did because she really does have the best information that really goes against Monbiot, Monbio, whatever, however you pronounce his name and all like those vegan influencers or um, the health recommendations that we, um, is it the Lance report that we only eat like this much meat a day? And like, she's amazing like that. And the Global Food Justice Alliance, which is also her organization. Um, the information on those pages are amazing. Like, I just wish more people would read it. Yeah. It's getting it in front of people in a format 
that they'll sit down and take the time to digest is it seems like that's becoming harder and harder to do all the time. Yeah. People think they know something and then they get very blinkered and they don't want to know that they're wrong. Or even if they're right, they don't want to broaden that. Like they get, this is what I know. This is what I understand. This is the train of thought I'm going to go down. And they don't broaden, which is frustrating. Yeah, for sure. And I was, I was sitting here thinking about how many guys I know that are farmers or ranchers and have been doing it as long as I have, 10, 15 years. And I've never seen them at a coffee shop talk, at a conference, at a seminar, at an expo, anything to, to, to try to advance the education. And you go talk to them and it's like, well, I learned, you know, I learned how to feed cows at K-State. Okay. What have you learned in the last 15 years? Well, my salesman told me this, this, and this. Like, oh, okay. <laughs> so that's 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 why your operation looks the way it does, because you're listening to the salesman and you're not getting out and yeah and, and, and staying current on research. So so I I we need to go back to this part where you guys save the ranch. Oh, this that part. Your, yeah. <laughs> this is what your husband told me that you saved the ranch direct marketing beef, chicken, and pork that were raised by other people. Um. So when kinda, I don't know whether I don't I don't know what he said. So um, we saved the ranch by direct marketing our beef. That was how we saved the ranch until I I got them to say this is a business model that works. And here's the proof. Like here's the proof in the past nine months and orders booked out. And then it was last year, so we'd already saved the ranch by then, but we went through this crazy month in August, and it was there was pictures going up up online with all over of empty shelves, like no one had food, like it was and will Harris at uh White O pastors he did an amazing thing about we don't have a food supply issue, we have a distribution issue and I wholeheartedly agree with that and I think that's why we saw this so within within 36 hours we sold something like 40 heads of as beef and uh, by the end of August I was sold out until February and that was doing 15 head a month and I was sold out so far in advance that I was worried that I would lose customers that people would want to buy beef and they wouldn't be able to because I didn't have any for six months so Remember I said I was super impulsive and I just do I just do stuff. <laughs> so then I kind of said to Scott on a Friday evening, I said, well, what if we opened up this online platform I've built and offer it to other suppliers to sell their pr product over our platform? And he was like, yeah, that sounds good. I went, okay, on it. <laughs> and and I did up I did up a post and he was like, what are you doing? And, and I did up like a, a Canva thing. I posted it on our ranch page saying looking for producers chicken pork lamb anything um and the next morning i i woke up to voicemails and a mailbox uh, like emails full and you know like things going meet me for for coffee so went through all of that and um kind of started to sell so there's there's these companies like meet me which is a Canadian company, meetme.ca, and there's True Local, and they've groomed us. Like they've come to us wanting to buy our beef, but 
they won't pay the price we need. Like they're only offering farmers and ranchers like three fifty to four dollars a pound hanging weight, which I do I would make zero money on that. Yet they turn around and sell it for this extortionate price. So I said to all these other suppliers, it was like, I will pay you what you want, like what you need, I will pay. And all and we just we'll just take one dollar per pound of your weight for the use of our platform. So we did all the delivering, the marketing, the weighing, the packing, everything. And we were able to provide our customer base with lamb and pork and chicken. And now and we've kept that on. So it's um yeah, that's kind of what I did. And it didn't just save us, it saved lots, lots of people. So it was um, like I built, I call it an online platform, but I don't just mean an online store, an online platform being our social media and um, my landing pages and my website and my email list. And all of that is my online platform, not just the online store where people, where, where people go and buy stuff. It's everything that's connected. So yeah, we just, I would just put out, I think I put out an email in my newsletter saying I have 10 lambs for sale and they went in 26 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So I kind of want to ask how you build your email list, but that seems less important than what are some lessons that you would want to pass on to other people that are struggling right now to fulfill direct to consumer sales? Or, um, or find direct-to-consumer customers. So, I mean, I think you do have to go on to e email list for that. So our email list is full of, it's warm. Like if you know the difference between a warm lead and a cold lead, I've never advertised. I've never gone on to Facebook and put out advert and paid a fortune in paid ads to get people to sign up to my newsletter. And then I email them sequences I've never done that. And I've never bought a mailing list from a gym or from a health food store for that cr crossover. Like I've never, like our email list is pretty small. It's only 2,000 people, 2,500 or something people on our lists. And that's taken me five years to grow. But they are all warm leads. They are all there because they want to be there. They found us, or, us organically as opposed to me hounding them, if that makes sense. So because because I post this information about the health benefits of beef or working out and eating beef or the water usage of cattle, which is misconstrued in the media, all these things that and people are like, oh, that, you know, I'll check that out. And that's that's a warm lead. So when I put out an email, so when I say I don't sell on social media, I don't. All my selling is in my email list. And I don't send fluff. I don't do blogging. I don't send anything out other than I have something for, for sale. Do you want it? And people know that if they wait until they get home from work, the likelihood is it's gone. Like when, when we do lamb or chicken or pork or something. So people buy straight away. Like I sent, a new, I sent an, an email. I sent a newsletter out. What day is it today? Monday. I sent a newsletter out Saturday at lunchtime. And everyone pays by deposits. And within something like four hours, I'd sold three head of, head, head of cattle worth of beef. So that one email generated 15 grand revenue just from <laughs> but that email list is warm because people have found us. So just, and that's telling 
story. Like, don't discount your story. Like, people want to buy from you. 100%. And that's, you've said that several times, and I don't know if I hit this point earlier, but my friend Hobbs has said this for about two years. The people that are going to be successful in ranching and selling beef in the next five years are the people that are telling their stories today. Yeah, I agree. I do. And just because you don't think it's interesting doesn't mean other people don't. Like, I post, I don't post as much on our rants page now as I did at the start. Like, I maybe only post a couple of times a week just to keep things moving. And like, but we've, we've gone on deliveries and people I have never met, but they know me or they think, they think they know me. They're like, I just want to give you a hug. And I'm like, okay. And it's, it's, and I've never, I've, I've never met them, but it's because like our, our brand, um, I had knee surgery two years ago. Um, and I was in the recovery room after knee sur surgery and they ask you all these questions to kind of make sure you're coming out of anesthesia. And the nurse is like, you know, what's your name? And do you know why you're here? And, you know, what do you do for a living? And I said, oh, we raise beef. She goes, oh, and, and what's your ranch called? And I went, why kick a hay ranch? And she goes, oh, my God, I follow you on Instagram. <laughs> and this is two and a half hours away. <laughs> the nurse in the recovery room, like, I've been paddle boarding on a, on a lake and I have all in my hat. And I hear these, these dudes will say, go, I buy your pet pepperoni is the best I've ever had and I'm like I don't know them from Adam <laughs> but that's that is the power of branding and that is the power of your story a couple of weeks ago I had somebody come up to me in public and go you're Red Hills Rancher I listen to your podcast I recognize your voice and I'm just kind of like hey, you weren't expecting that in a freaking quick trip <laughs> checkout line <laughs> there you go awesome yeah I've, I've, I've had to learn rapidly over the last couple of years that that stuff happens a lot. Like I got on TikTok like three years ago. I don't post a whole lot on there anymore. I've had people come up to me in random places to be like, Hey, I follow you on TikTok. I'm like, Oh shit. I need to do a better job of disguising myself when I go in public. <laughs> that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what's what's this platform called that you've been talking about? It doesn't have a, I mean, it's, I call it a platform just because it's something I've built to help us sell. Um, but I'm trying so hard not to be salesy. <laughs> no, go ahead. <laughs> Can I tell, tell a story instead? And then yeah, we'll, go ahead. So um, I said I'm a carnivore and I, I literally, I don't eat vegetables. Um, I follow Dr. Anthony Chafee's podcast. I don't know if you follow him. He's, um, he is, he's a doctor and he's a very well-known in the carnival world. And he's, he's, um, he's kind of cool and he has a massive following. And I was listening to his podcast and this lady comes on. Her name is Maggie. She's 82. She's been a carnivore her whole life just because she's stubborn and won't eat vegetables. They have a ranch in Alberta and they raise um, bulls, breeding bulls. And she's on this podcast and she had reached out to quite a few people because she's like, nobody wants to buy beef. No one is eating beef. Everyone is plant-based now. Uh, my b business is gone. I'm going to have to sell my ranch. You know, I can't afford to feel my, to feed my cows. Nobody wants to eat meat where, where 
she's 82 and she's amazing. Like she is amazing. And I'm folding laundry, listening to this going, oh my God, I can help her. Like this is so wrong. And there is a business there. Remember we said I was super impulsive. So I, I, um, I reached out to Anthony Chafee. Um, I messaged him not thinking he would respond. And I just said, I can help her. Like I know I can help her. Um, you know, there is money that, and I kind of told a bit about our story and about how we sit the ranch and he got back to me and he put us in touch. And, um, I have started to help more people. Like I launched this, it's called sell beef direct to kind of help more farmers and ranchers sell direct. So I reached out to her and said, I will help you. And it's free. I will help you for free. I really like, I just want you to know that this works. And I worked with her for six weeks. Um, and within a week of like finishing my program, she sent me a message going, oh my goodness, I thank God for you. Um, they had sold over $10,000 worth of beef in a week. And, um, yeah, she's like this and they, and they're sold out now until February. So it's, it's just building this platform and anyone can do it. I kind of have a blueprint to help, to help them, but it's telling your story and finding your customer. Like your customer is not someone who clips coupons and buys that $2 pound from Walmart. They are not your customer. And you don't want to appeal to that, that customer because they're never going to buy. And you don't want to try and appeal to everyone because that's actually counterintuitive by appealing to trying to appeal to everyone you appeal to no one so you really have to identify who your customer is and my customer is a gym rat for one of a better word someone who and these these can all be different people it's not one person who has all of it but someone who who works out and cares about their health maybe a mom who wants to give their kids the best they can someone who is a health conscious and environmental conscious and they know about the benefits of beef and grazing cattle have on the soils. Someone who um, is local conscious, like they understand the benefits of shopping local. Like if you shop local, 68% of that revenue stays local. Whereas if you shop at a big box store, it's less than 1%. So if you spend $10 with me, $6.80 is going to stay within this and just go around and around and around. And it supports your local economy, stabilizes the food, the local economy that, it, you know, so that is my ideal customer. And that's who I speak to. So someone who can only afford $2 a pound ground, that's amazing. You do you, but you're not my customer. So everything I do targets that dem demographic or those demographics. And that's kind of where I take, people in that you have to not be scared to ask for the price you need there's no point mat price matching that like if you need to sell ground for nine dollars a pound then do it but target the customer who can buy it if that makes sense yeah 100 percent. i found that you there's a group of customers that really like ground beef with a little bit of liver or heart in it and they'll pay a whole bunch more for it they will yeah our butcher does not like doing that for us because they have to do a different run like we've done it a few times but he doesn't like adding the organs because then he has to switch the plates and do a run and then clean the machine and switch the plates and bring it back for someone else like he's he does do it normally when they're quieter but he's not a huge fan of it but customers are a huge fan of it 
Yeah, definitely. Like, um, last time I sent something to Locker, I didn't get anywhere near enough Primal Blend made because it sold, like, I got rid of it within like, two days and mm -hmm. I didn't even have to advertise. Like, it was just gone instantly. So maybe you missed the boat on that one. But that's, I guess that's a freebie nugget for anybody out there is uh, there's a market for Primal Blend. Like, yeah. don't just give those hearts, you know, don't just give that heart and liver to the butcher and have him throw it away. Like, you can grind that into some ground beef and get a premium back for that. I did. Um, so that whole thing about not selling on Instagram, but giving information. We had a whole heap of organs left because we keep all our, our organs. And I did this Canva post and it was like a bomb explosion going, bam, the cheapest way to buy beef. And the next page was organ meat. And it went into, you know, uh, liver and i gave a recipe for liver pate and i and kidneys i'm from the uk so steak steak and kidney pie and then tongue my kids beg for tongue tacos like tongue is amazing you have to you if you're a little bit squeamish i did take half a bottle of wine to peel said tongue but 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 once it was done it was amazing and now we have it lots and then heart roast heart is like is like is like a tenderloin so i did all this in in a canva post Posted it on my ranch page, didn't think much of it, but then we sold out of organs. Like it's the power of marketing, whatever. So people are like, I want, I want to try that. And yeah, and now I can't keep liver in at all. Liver goes so fast and tongue as well. But tongue tacos are amazing. So good. I've heard that. I'm just not that brave. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> once you have that skin off. <laughs> It's like, um, it's kind of like a cross rib roast. Like it's super sticky, has that kind of, can it, like it breaks down and it, it's delicious. You, you do have to get your head around peeling it like a banana. <laughs> yeah, maybe someday, not today, but maybe some other day. It's really good. <laughs> All right. I got to start, uh, I got to start moving out of here. So what's your website? It's um, sellbeefdirect.com. Is that where people need to go to get all your secrets and coaching? And They can't. And there's loads of free stuff on there. Like there's free masterclasses. There's free techniques. There's free. I try and give away as much for free as I can. Like I, my mission is to help more and more farmers stop closing and to help more and more farmers sell direct and get their product to the consumers who want to buy it. My Instagram has, I do free Zoom calls and free lives and Q&A. Like, I'm an open book. Like, people can contact me and ask me anything. And I just hosted one on Saturday, a free um, Zoom call for people who were asking me loads of questions. That yeah. And it was, it was a pitch-free, like I said, pitch-free Q&A. Like, ask me anything. And people do. Very cool. Very cool. What's your Instagram handle? Uh, at sell beef direct that's easy yeah and if you want to see the ranch the ranch page and what we do over there with the with regenerative ag and the lovely picture of my husband on the profile picture it's um why kick a hay underscore ranch so it's <laughs> w-a-i-k-i-k-a-h-e-i underscore ranch yeah Say that Don't, one more time really slow. W-A-I-K-I-K-A-H-E-I 
I K A H E I underscore around. It's he's from New Zealand and it's um it's a New Zealand name. Okay. Okay. I'll uh I'll have to email you, make sure I have that correct for the show notes. <laughs> You never went back to the um, vegetarian carnivore story. Oh, no, we didn't get there. So, okay. <laughs> T- tell, tell me how you switched from being a vegetarian as a young, as a young lass in Scotland <laughs> to an ocean-roaming British Columbia ranching carnivore. <laughs> um, I have autoimmune disease. Okay. I have, um, and um, I'll give you the cliff notes. It was brought on by the birth of my second child. I got awfully infected um, that they didn't understand. There was an emergency C-section that I never wanted. Um, horribly infected, they never knew. And it was basically full body septicemia. Like I went into the hospital. They told my husband that I may not last the night. Like it was... Um, we so we had a newborn. She was six weeks old and a two and a half year old. And they t- I had a temperature of one hundred and four and a heart rate of one forty. And I was full body septic. Um, obviously I survived. I'm good. We're all good. But it never went away. And it um it's called septic reactive arthritis that then morphed into rheumatoid arthritis. Or that's the diagnosis they gave me. Um, and I had a rheumatologist. But the drugs that they put you on, they it was awful. Like. It's um, methotrexate, which is a is actually a chemo drug. So it made my hair fall out and it made me feel nauseous all the time. And I became a bitch. Like it just changed my whole personality. It was like I was awful. Like my husband wasn't happy at all. So um, I came off it and um, got shingles and got super ill and they put me on it again. I'm like, no, this is not for me. This was 12 years ago now, 12 and a bit years ago. Um, so I did some research as you do. And I went on keto first and that kind of made me feel better, but I didn't feel at that point it was sustainable and it just didn't sit right. So then I did more research and I cut out all nightshades, all gluten, all grains from my diet. And that did make me feel a lot better to the point where I could come off my meds. And then um, I discovered carnivore so the lion diet more, Michaela Peterson. So she has awful rheumatoid. She has awful auto autoimmune things to the point where she was having. I think someone will prove me wrong, but she was having hip replacements when she was a teenager and told she would never have kids. And she was on. She did the Cambridge debates against Beyond Meat, and she was like, "I wouldn't be here if you made me eat vegetables." Like, so it was. Um, I did lion. And my rheumatologist was super supportive. And I he now signed me off all everything. No meds, no flare-ups, back in the lowest health brackets. Um, for health health insurance, I don't even have to declare it on my forms anymore. Um, and it's all down to diet. So carnivore. And green things aren't good for me. <laughs> like they 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 um flare it up. So things like broccoli and spinach and and Things like that, that and kale, whatever that people say are so good for you. No. <laughs> so I literally, um, for a long time, it was just meat, just uh, ruminant meat, salt and water. And now maybe a little bit more sapien in that I am dairy 
um, eggs, um, fruits. Some fruits are fine. Um, so like a, a lot of the things that we consider a vegetable is actually a fruit. Like a cucumber is a fruit and peas are fruit and squash is a fruit and zucchinis are fruits, things like that. So they're not, because if you think about the animal kingdom, if a cow eats the grass too much, those roots, those roots die and they have to grow back. But plants make leaves taste bitter so animals don't eat them. So like a monkey won't eat. But the fruit is what you, they want you to eat so that when you poop and the seeds grow a new plant. So like they want you to eat fruit. So I can eat some fruit. But yeah, I just don't. I belong carnivore. But from being paralyzed, um, I I do triathlons and I and I ride and I run and I paddleboard and I ski and I snowboard and <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> well, that's great. Thanks for thanks for sharing. And I guess podcast listeners will just put another tick mark on the wall, like, hey, somebody else healed themselves, but then they stopped eating vegetables and started eating meat. Exactly. I have a friend who just got diagnosed with RA, rheumatoid arthritis, and she asked me, she goes, Oh, I understand you have this or something similar. And her doctor has put her on on a diet that's literally vegetables. And she's like, I'm on a diet and it makes me feel awful. And I'm like, but what are you eating? And she's like, well, broccoli and spinach and fish. And I'm all, fish is fine. But, um, and she's like, but I feel awful and my stomach hurts. It's stop with the green stuff. <laughs> the rest of that stuff will kill you. Yeah. And seed oils, get rid of them. <laughs> but that's another, another conversation, probably. They are the devil. Seed oils, definitely. Yes. They've almost been banned from our house. They have been banned from our house. Yeah. I even buy, I don't buy, like I put the kids on, they didn't realize that last, like in their pack, pack lunches at school, they don't get sandwiches or anything. They get our own jerky and pepperoni and dried fruit and nuts and cheese and maybe some baking, but baking that I've made with organic spelt flour or something. And that's, yeah. And their whole personalities changed. Like they're more balanced and yeah, they're happier. They're not having problems paying attention and acting out and being crazy at school. <laughs> kind of funny how that how that works when you don't feed them like six cups of sugar for breakfast in the morning. Yeah. My youngest is nine and she asks for steak for breakfast. Or I do I call them a breakfast burger. It's just a burger with an egg on top, but Yes. <laughs> a breakfast burger or steak for breakfast <laughs> that's awesome sounds like they're on the right uh starting off on the right foot have good health for the rest of their life mm-hmm. ranching all right we can end there so amy i really appreciate your time and make sure everybody check out sellbeefdirect.com and uh, make sure they check you out on instagram thank you so much it was fun really enjoyable <laughs> Yeah, had a great time. Y'all have a great week. See ya.